My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. It really is good to be here with you this morning. You know, I could very well be headed off to AT&T Park this morning, you know, getting there early to go watch the Giants. I could be off camping. You know, I could be still sleeping. But I'm not. And I'm here. Uh, because you are a priority. Because my job is a priority. <laughs> because gathering together as the body of Christ is a priority. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, To not neglect meeting together is the, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I'm glad that you're here as well. I'm glad that you made it a priority uh, to be here. There are going to be some that are going to be listening to this recording, and I'm glad that you're making it a priority to listen as well, even if you weren't able to be here uh, physically. I know there are more and more things vying for our attention in time. In fact, I was just talking to another pastor, and uh, he was saying that at his church, most people only come about two Sundays out of the month. So they're there two Sundays, and then they're gone two Sundays. So two Sundays, it's really empty. No, they all like kind of balance it out. It was just interesting to hear him talk about some of his frustrations with that. So I just wanted to say thank you for making a church uh, and specifically this church, a priority this morning. You know, this is uh, the third church that I've worked at, and I've been here uh, almost six years now, and just love this place, love these people. This is really home, this is family, and uh, I, just, I just really love being here. So I love you guys being here, because without you guys here, this, it would be a very sparse family. So <laughs> thank you for being here. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, this morning, uh, we are talking about priorities. We've been in a series called Greater Than, and we're looking at what it looks like to prioritize like Jesus. So what I wanted to do was just kind of walk through where we've been and then let us know where we are headed. So our first week, we looked at just kind of the overarching question of what are priorities and what does it mean to prioritize. Uh, the second week, we looked at priorities for the church uh, we looked at priorities for the church as a whole. We looked at priorities for Neighborhood Bible Church specifically. Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of searching for treasure and what you value you're going to run after and pursue with, with full fortitude. And then last week, we looked at priorities in serving and doing things and, and knowing what you need to be doing and what you need to not be doing. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at priorities uh, in relationships. Today we're going to be looking at two interactions that Jesus had with different people, and we'll glean what we can so that we can learn to prioritize like Jesus in regard to relationships. So let me pray, and uh, we'll dive in. All right, pull out your Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 10, and that's where we're going to start out there. And while you're doing that, go ahead and pull out your bulletin. There's a little insert in there that you can uh, take notes on. I've got some blanks for those of you that like filling in blanks, so that'll be fun. When Dave asked me to preach, for me, it's, it's harder for me to preach from a topic than it is to preach from a Bible passage. When, when we were going through Galatians, it was easy. What are you preaching on? Here's your Bible passage. Great, fantastic. And so I can dive into that passage. I can look at the whole book. I can look at you know, what's going on before and after and just really study that specific passage and allow the... Uh, allow the Lord to speak through that specific passage. Dave gave me a topic, a challenging topic as well. You know, he gave me the topic of relationships. You know, when, when you're given a topic like baptism, 
to speak on. You know, that's, that's a little bit easier because there's a few key passages that you can go to in the Bible that talk about baptism. Money, there's a few key passages that talk about money. Prayer, there's a few key passages that talk about prayer. But relationships, uh, the whole Bible talks about relationships. Um, you know, but Dave was nice and he, he narrowed it down. You know, well, we're talking about prioritizing like Jesus, okay? So that should narrow me down to the Gospels, right? Well, as we're sitting in a meeting on uh, Monday, Dave goes, oh, yeah, well, I view, you know, Proverbs as prioritizing like Jesus. And, you know, the, the, the epistles as prioritizing like Jesus. Frankly, the whole Bible uh, you can use as prioritizing like Jesus. I said, thanks a lot, Dave, you know, for just opening this up for me and uh, giving me more to speak on. Uh, what I've done is I've really found uh, two passages that I think speak to uh, some different things about Jesus and how he worked in relationships. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 17. It says this, As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So there's two things uh, from this passage that I wanted to draw out that we learn about prioritizing in relationships. First thing we catch is that Jesus was selfless. Jesus was selfless. In his interaction with this man, we can see that. Uh, verse 21, I, I love Mark's telling of this passage because he includes this little snippet that we get that we don't get in the other uh, Gospels telling. It says in verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved him. And so that, that in and of itself just uh, points to Jesus' passion for this man. That Jesus cared about this man and he wasn't just like, you know, throwing out, hey, I'm Jesus, and I can, you know, this, 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 and I know exactly what's going on, but Jesus actually cared about him. Jesus actually had compassion on this man. He was selfless. Now, we can only speculate the man's motives, um, but I, I think that some of his motives uh, were selfish in coming up, you know, and wanting to make himself look good. Uh, as he comes up, you know, buttering up Jesus, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this man was confident in, in the things that he had done. You know, Jesus rattles off this list. Um, some of the things are easier to keep than others. Um, but Jesus does give him some of the easier commandments. And he says, all these I have kept from my youth. You know, Jesus approached this as selfless and not as uh, selfish. Looking at this interaction as an opportunity to build into that man instead of what can I get out of this opportunity? What can I get out of this interaction? Uh, not long ago, I, I had the opportunity to confront someone that had hurt me in the past. And, and so, so here was this person, and, and I had the opportunity to sit down with him 
and kind of just lay out, here's, here's how you hurt me, and here's why I've been upset about this. And I, and I really wrestled with that, you know, because I knew going into it, when I, when I did talk to him, boy, that would feel good, you know, for me to get that off my chest, for me to talk about that, for me to get it out and just, ah, oh, be done with it. Now I'm not burdened by that anymore. But what I really wrestled through is what would that do for him? How would that help him? How would that, you know, would that encourage him? Would that help him at all? Would that be beneficial to him in any way, shape, or form? And I ended up going out at this conversation with an attitude of humility and uh, asking questions instead of accusing and blaming. And what I came to realize is that a lot of the issues were mine and not his. Um, so it was a good conversation, but it was... Uh, it was a tough one to try to enter into because I really wrestled with my own selfish motives in desiring to get out uh, from that conversation of what I wanted. But Jesus, as we see him interact with people, we see selflessness all the way through. Take a look at some of these, uh, some of these other passages. First of all, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, this is right after Jesus has found out that John the Baptist was beheaded. Um, and, and so we pick it up in, in Matthew 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Obviously, he was upset. John the Baptist was his cousin. Uh, he was close to him. And um, so he withdrew to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. He could have very well been selfish and said, no, I need my time. I need my time to grieve. I need my time to deal with this. But of course, he's Jesus and was perfectly selfless. In Luke 22, uh, we've heard this passage many times before, but there he is uh, praying um, in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, not my will, but yours be done. And then in John 10.10, 10, just pointing to why he was here at all. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. His presence on this earth was entirely selfless. And so uh, as we talk about these uh, three different things this morning, I, I have a question uh, under each one, and I have a verse from the book of Proverbs, since uh, I have the, uh, I'm, I'm allowed to go into Proverbs as well. Thanks, Dave. Uh, so here's, here's our question and, and verse from Proverbs for Jesus being selfless. The question is, are my motives in this relationship selfish? And so I, I challenge you first to, to, to ask yourself that. Um, I had a friend of mine that, that worked at Apple. And he was a friend because he worked at Apple, because he got me a discount. And uh, so I had to make sure I, I kept up as his friend, you know, so I continue to get that discount. Yeah, entirely selfish. Um, and that was something I had to come and realize and definitely approach the, the relationship differently since then. Uh, but the verse I give you is Proverbs seventeen seventeen, which says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So not loving when it's going good for you, not loving when you get something out of the relationship, not loving when, um, man, everything is sunshine and roses and rainbows, but rather loving in the midst of darkness, loving in the midst of difficulty, loving when you need to confront or you are being confronted. 
and being selfless in that relationship. So Jesus was selfless, and we saw that in here. Uh, the second thing we see in this interaction is that Jesus was deliberate. Jesus was deliberate. His questioning was intentional, directed, and methodical. As he goes through, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, defraud, honor your father and mother. He left out a few biggies. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't, uh, remember the Sabbath. Don't make yourself any idols. Uh, he, he left out some of the big ones and just kind of tossed him a few. Because Jesus knew what this guy needed to hear. Jesus knew where this guy's heart was at. And so he allowed him even to say, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus didn't push back on that at all. Jesus didn't challenge him in that. I'm sure he hasn't kept all of those from his youth. But Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and deliberately, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus knew what this guy needed to hear. He was deliberate. Jesus went after the heart of the matter, and he gave him the truth he needed to hear unapologetically. Jesus was deliberate with a bunch of different people. Jesus was deliberate with Nicodemus. He used the phrase, born again, to draw Nicodemus into conversation, to, wait, how can someone be born once they've already been born? Someone can't enter back into their mother's womb. Jesus was deliberate in that conversation. Jesus was deliberate in his conversation with the Samaritan woman. Even walking through Samaria, a lot of Jews would, would take a longer route to go around Samaria to avoid the Samaritans entirely. But Jesus walked himself and his disciples through Samaria. And then he says to her, go and call your husband. Also, intentionally, deliberately, to enter into a conversation with her when she says, I have no husband. And, and, and Jesus walks her down that, that road. Give me some water. Jesus was intentional with Lazarus, with Lazarus, with Mary, Martha, the whole situation. He waited until Lazarus died and then came back. He could have gotten there earlier and, and just healed Lazarus from his sickness, but he intentionally waited. He was deliberate. Jesus was deliberate with the disciples over and over and over again. I didn't put a specific reference because you could really take the entire... Gospels and just walk through as he talked to them in parables and uh, brought them off to the side. Okay, I'm going to explain this one to you. As, as he did different miracles, did different miracles more than once, uh, had them go out and do different tasks as well. He was very intentional and deliberate in his interactions with the disciples. Uh, and then not definitely the end of this list, but uh, Jesus was deliberate with the crowds. In Matthew 8, 18 to 22, he has interactions with different people that are wanting to come and follow him. And he asks them very different questions. Each of them, we can only assume, were, were pointed right to what that person was going through, exactly what that person needed to hear, and challenged them and uh, made them really question uh, how devoted they were to follow him. But Jesus was very deliberate. 
Uh, I've been meeting with a friend of mine recently. This is a guy I've known since about nine months before he was born. Uh, known this guy uh, my whole life, uh, longtime family friend, and w- we grew up together. He was like my little brother. Uh, and uh, probably over the past year, year and a half, we've started to meet together uh, every other week, but with intentionality, just trying to build into each other. We started with a book on marriage because he just got married uh, a little over a year ago, and so we've been talking about that. A few meetings ago, he said, hey, for our next book, can we go through something about uh, parenting? I go, oh, congratulations, because <laughs> they're, uh, they're expecting... Uh, baby number one. So I'm real excited about that. It's taken our relationship from just like, you know, casual and hanging out and buddy-buddy to a whole new level and a whole new depth with us being deliberate and being intentional with our time with each other and saying, I, I really want to pour into you in this way, in that way. I really want our relationship to grow in these different ways. So here's the question I have for you uh, in this area. Who do I need to be more deliberate with? Who do I need to be more deliberate with? Instead of uh, getting together simply because it's been a while, get together with someone and make it count. Have intentionality behind why you're getting together. Proverbs 27.6 said, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes you're going to have to have a hard conversation. Sometimes you're going to have to uh, say something that's, that's difficult. But for the sake of your friend, for, the, for your love for them. All right, uh, flip a few pages back in your Bible, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to look at our second interaction this morning. Mark chapter 5. starting in verse 35. So we're kind of picking it up in the middle of a story where um, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, comes up to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter's sick. Uh, I want you to come, come and heal my daughter. And as Jesus is on his way to going and healing this, uh, this daughter, uh, a woman comes up and touches him, touches his cloak and is instantly healed uh, from a sickness that she's had for 12 years, over a decade. Um, And Jesus has a little interaction with her. um, And we pick it up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, so from Jairus' house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Catch this. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. 
And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, we all know that Jesus had his 12 disciples, uh, 12 men that he poured into with greater focus and intention than any others. Yet even within the 12, we see a few times in the scriptures where Jesus brought along only a few. And so from this passage, we see that Jesus was focused. Jesus was focused in his interactions, in his time on earth. Jesus was focused. So a few times we see him just bring along Peter, James, and John right here in this passage. The second time we see that is during the transfiguration. He only brings along Peter, James, and John. The other nine aren't there. Uh, And then third, when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, he has the 12 disciples, and then he takes Peter, James, and John off a little bit further while he goes and prays. And so there's a few interactions where he says, look, you three, I want you three to come with me. And then there's a couple others where uh, Andrew is included in that group. Uh, First of all, in Mark 1, uh, when he goes into Peter's house um, and uh, heals his mother-in-law. And then uh, second, in the Mount of Olives, uh, when he sits and has a discussion, he he only has uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John in there. Um, But we kind of ask ourselves, okay, so why? Why does he bring in these three and just these three? And why does he have these interactions with just them? I thought he was there, you know, with the 12 disciples. You know, weren't they all the same? No. Uh, he poured into those three deeper. And we see, even in Galatians 2.9, that they became pillars of the church. Paul says, uh, James and Cephas, Peter and John, who seem to be pillars. Um, and so they were really looked at as some of the pillars of the church. And Jesus is poured directly into them and wanted to take them to a deeper level than he did at the other nine. But in reality, Jesus had to be focused. He had to. Uh, The world population at the time was in the neighborhood of 200 million. Jesus getting time with each of those 200 million people, impossible. Absolutely impossible. And so uh, he had to pour into some and not pour into others. There were people that lived during that time that never even met him, never even got to interact with him at all. Uh, So as Jesus is stuck in the human body and limited to some of the things that we are limited to, uh, as he said yes and poured in some, that was him automatically saying no to somebody else and not pouring into them. But Jesus had to be focused, and that kept him on mission. Uh, we see uh, one interaction here in Matthew chapter 9, uh, where it says, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, uh, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus knew what he was there for, and so he knew that the time that he was giving to those people was worth it and was valuable. He was focused on what he was doing. Now, let me take a minute and just talk about focus. Uh, Just for a second, we're going to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction. And to keep you focused, I have candy. 
maybe I've just lost some of you. That's okay. Um, but I have a question. We're, we're in this series called Greater Than, right? So what's better, Skittles or M&M's? Oh, man. Okay. Raise your hand for uh, Skittles. Come on. M&M's. Oh, man. All right. Who would say that they would eat M&M's over any other candy ever? All right. Nice. Hey, give it to her. Give it to her. Now, just because, Megan, you would rather eat M&M's than any other candy, if you were offered some Skittles, would you eat them? No. <laughs> Never. Not at all. Wow. Okay. Uh, somebody else that, that, that likes candy, that likes M&M's, that would prefer M&M's over Skittles, would you still eat the Skittles? Sure, right? Just because you like one over the other doesn't mean that you dislike the other. Sadie, you are just chomping at the bit and just desperately want these Skittles. So there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just because you like one over the other doesn't mean uh, that the other one is bad. So when we talk about focus, when we talk about priorities, uh, what I first want to say is that focus is not a value judgment. Focus is not a value judgment. Okay, so when you say, I'm going to focus here, that doesn't mean that I dislike what is over here, or that what is over here is bad. But just that, no, this is where my focus is. Just because I like, and frankly, I like Skittles better, just because I like Skittles better doesn't mean I dislike M&M's. It just means that I would prefer one over the other or that I'm focused on one over the other because when I see two bowls sitting there and one has Skittles in it, I totally forget what's in the other bowl. It's not Skittles? Oh, fantastic. You know, and dive in. But think about this in life as well. You know, when you become a parent and all of a sudden you don't have as much time for your friends as you used to, that doesn't mean you don't like them anymore. It just means that your focus has become diverted to diapers and spit-up and food and being awake 24-7 and just all the wonderful things that come along with being a parent. Uh, it's, it's beautiful and wonderful. I've, I've actually said that to someone. This doesn't mean that I don't like you. It just means that I have some other things I need to be focusing on right now. So when we talk about relationships, choosing one doesn't mean that the other is bad. So focus is not a value judgment. Focus is also not exclusion. You know, just because I like Skittles more, that doesn't mean I'm never going to eat M&M's. And just because I'm focused on a certain uh, group of people or I'm pouring into these people over here, that doesn't mean I never am going to have a conversation with these people over here. Uh, just a few months ago, Dave and I took a day trip up to Sacramento, and uh, I had a few hours of, of free time while we were up there, and so I called up one of my old roommates from college and spent three years with him sitting and talking and catching up. We hadn't talked for four years. Did I say three years? <laughs> I'm still up there right now, apparently. <laughs> I, was, I was dialed in. Yeah, so three hours. I talked to him for three hours. I'm sorry. Um, so I sat and talked to him for three hours and, and not having gotten to talk to him for four years. 
So just because I'm not focused on him anymore and I'm not spending intense time with him doesn't mean that I'm never going to talk to him again. And those things are important when we talk about values and when we talk about uh, focus. But there's a question that, that comes is, how, how do I focus? How do I choose in relationships who to focus on and who to not focus on? Right? That's, that's a difficult question. Because if we do exactly what Jesus did, we'd pick three people to be our inner core, right? And then we'd have an Andrew that would get to tag along a couple, a couple of times, but not all of them. And then we'd have another nine to round out the inner circle. But Jesus' ministry lasted only three years. And he was very focused and intentional during those three years. And so he poured into those people during three years. Now, we have our full lives. And things change as life goes on. And so we hang on to some biblical principles, but there are many factors that should affect how and where we focus. So let me give you a few. Uh, first of all, geography. Geography dictates who you focus on. And Jesus was focused on the people present in each town that he visited. Right As we talked about the Samaritan woman, he was there and he was dialed into what she needed to hear spent his time with her, and was very focused on his interaction with her. And as he went from place to place, he was focused on the people that he was there with. And so for us, we can look at that and go, man, geography definitely plays into who I should be focused on. Right? Your neighbors were given to you for a reason. So pour into them. You live next to these people. You live right around these people. Make relationships. Invest. Pour into them. Your local church is here for a reason. So pour into it as well. Anytime you move, your focus changes. Right? You move from one location to another. Okay, well, you know, yes, I could try to keep up with everybody that's there, but all of a sudden I'm not walking by them on campus. All of a sudden I'm not seeing them um, at work. All of a sudden I'm not worshiping with them. And now I have new people that need my attention, that need my focus, and people that I need to be pouring into me and focusing on me as well. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So geography is one way to focus. Second is phase of life. Phase of life. Phase of life definitely dictates how you focus and where you focus. When you move to college, uh, many of you that have done that and, and gone that route, man, your focus totally changes. Yes, a school looks different, um, but geography plays into that as well. Uh, when you get a job, can't stay out late anymore, and uh, some of your friends have a hard time understanding that, come on, let's go. We're going to go to a movie and it, you know, Starts at midnight? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Uh, It doesn't work that way. And along with job, hirings and firings are are different phases of life and things that cause you to shift your focus. And not just you being hired or you being fired, but even coworkers around you. When a coworker is fired, they're not there present in front of you all the time. When a new coworker comes in, they're there and, okay, now I have a new person to focus on and to pour into. Um, when somebody moves, 
you know, not just you, but somebody new moves into the neighborhood. Somebody moves away. You know, now your focus is going to shift and is going to change. When you get married, boy, your focus changes when you get married. It did better. All of a sudden, uh, if you're a guy, hanging out with a single woman is suddenly perceived entirely different. Right? Uh, outside of your wife. Let's make that clear. Uh, Genesis 2.24 speaks to that. Leave and cleave. But I also want to say this. I want to say this to the single people. In, in that, um, enjoy and pour into the phase of life that you're in. Because God has you in that phase of life for a certain amount of time and for a specific reason. And so use the, the phase of life that you're in to be able to pour into people in a way that you won't be able to when you're married. And so I want to encourage you and, and challenge you in that as well. Kids. Boy, kids change our focus. Um, Proverbs 22.6 says, you know, the, the verse that we're all familiar with, train up a child in the way that he should go. That requires a lot of focus. And everyone that's a parent says amen, right? <laughs> a lot of focus. Um, the number of kids that you have definitely changes how much you focus. Laura and I have been watching uh, 18 Kids and Counting. There, <laughs> There's a lot of focus that's going on at that home. Um, if you have a kid that has special needs, uh, your focus is different. If you, uh, the age of your kids dictates how you focus. Uh, and also, if you're having challenges or issues with a specific kid, that changes your focus as well. Maybe they're having challenges in school or challenges in life, and you go, man, we need to focus right here, right now on this kid. Uh, and then other things, other phases of life definitely affect focus. Divorce, uh, when you become empty nesters, health concerns. Many different uh, things happen in life that shift our focus and that change our focus. And so I think it's a little jaded to say, well, just pick three people, and those are the three people that you're going to invest in for the rest of your life. Because things happen and things change, and God will continue to bring in new people and God will move people out of your life. And so um, just be aware of that. But more than anything, I would point you to the Scriptures and to prayer. The Scriptures speak a lot about focus. Uh, the book of Acts is great to just go through, man, how do we relate to each other? Because that's a book about the early church just learning how to function as a body. Uh, the book of James has a lot of very practical advice. The book of Proverbs has a lot of very practical advice about how to focus and where to focus. I, I, I have this little link for you. It's on your page as well, but tinyurl.com backslash each others um, has every single each other and one another in the Bible listed out. So you can go through and read uh, through all those. I've got four pages of it printed out. I'll just read you a few of these. John 13 and 14. Now that I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 14.13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. 
on and on it goes. But uh, so many scriptures that are just teaching us how to interact with each other, where to focus, who to focus on. And with prayer, um, I do this often because I get approached a lot. A lot of people come up to me, hey, how tall are you? Six, nine. You know, and sometimes I won't even let them ask the question because they'll just come up to me. Um, excuse me, uh, six, nine. Oh, thank you. How did you know? It's happened once or twice before, you know. <laughs> but, you know, each time that interaction happens, I really pray through as that person comes up, Lord, what do you want me to do with this interaction? How do you want me to interact with this person right here, right now? You know, and where do you want me to take this conversation? And I try to be really mindful of what the Lord has for me in that moment with that person. And so I would challenge you to do the same. Now, you might not be approached because you're 6'9", so your situation will be a little bit different. But just as you're interacting with people, Lord, how do you want me to interact in this situation? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Uh, When Dave uh, first talked about prioritizing, he said a few things, and I wanted just to remind us of that. Uh, He said, first of all, that prioritizing like Jesus will require short-term pain. And in focusing on relationships and in choosing who to focus on, that will happen. You may encounter some pushback and challenges along the way. You may need to have some tough conversations with people. As you start to focus here, uh, your attention to some other people may start to fall flat. You know, and that's okay you know, as you're focusing on the people you need to be focusing on. But that may require some pain and some challenge as you're uh, trying to navigate that. But at the same time, when you're prioritizing like Jesus, it makes lesser decisions easy. Choosing uh, where to focus and choosing who to focus on should become easier as you're prioritizing like Jesus, as you're focusing on the things that he wants you to be focusing on. Should I get into an argument with this person on YouTube over evolution? Probably not. It's not going to get anywhere. (laughs) Um, But let me go back to um, Jesus being focused and give you the question and the verse from Proverbs. The question is, who do I need to focus on? And the verse in uh, Proverbs is Proverbs 18.24 which says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who do I need to be focusing on? Who do I need to be pouring into? Who do I need to be investing in? Uh, In your uh, community group questions, it asks about uh, something that uh, a lot of churches talk about often, which is the idea of having a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy someone who is mentoring you, someone who is there to be encouraging you and you're encouraging, and someone who you are mentoring. Um, And so it asks about that and asks you to start thinking through and processing through, man, who are those people? Um, But uh, my challenge to you is to really just start to think about who you're focusing on. Let me talk about uh, something that many of us are very familiar with. Facebook. Because we have this dilemma with Facebook, because Facebook tells us and quantifies our relationships. Um, 
I checked uh, last night, and I currently have 1,179 friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know how, like, when it's your birthday every year, like, people write, you know, hey, happy birthday, happy birthday. I got birthday wishes from people that I was like, I'm sure I met you at some point, and I'm sure there's some reason that you're my Facebook friend. I don't know who you are. Uh, but thank you for the birthday wishes. I, I really appreciate that. Um, now, uh, for me, Facebook is really kind of like a glorified address book um, and a way for me to keep tabs on people as they're coming to mind. I, I'll send messages to people every now and then. Like, I'll be talking about you know the good old days in high school, and a certain person will come to mind, and I'll be like, I'm just going to send them a message and see how they're doing. But really, um, you know, the amount of focus that I can give to all 1,179 of those, very, very limited. In fact, there's something called Dunbar's number. Anyone heard of Dunbar's number before? Okay. Um, Dunbar's number states that the number of people one knows, or Dunbar's number states the number of people one knows and keeps social contact with. Okay? So uh, this guy Dunbar did this study about the number of relationships that a person can actually have. Like, what is, the capa- what is a human's capacity for actual relationships? Um, and it clarifies, it does not include the number of people known personally with a ceased social relationship, nor people just generally known with a lack of persistent social relationship. Okay? So if we start to add in the people like, oh, yeah, I knew them in high school, but I don't really talk to them anymore, or uh, trying to add in, you know, oh, yeah, I met them here or there, but we don't really talk that much, you know, that number starts to get bigger, and that's where the Facebook number starts to grow and swell. Um, but Dunbar's number um, is 150. 150 is the number of people that, that he said uh, is the capacity that one person can really keep track of and have long-standing social relationships with. Now, others have studied and said maybe it's a little bit higher, but no one's gone over, like, the 250 mark. Okay, so it's really a lot smaller of a number. And uh, something we've been talking about a lot as we've been going through the series of priorities uh, is sphere of care and sphere of influence. Okay, whereas sphere of care is a lot larger, you know, and there's a lot of people that you may care about. But a sphere of influence is a lot smaller. So if you want to think about it tech-wise, you know, Facebook could be looked at as a sphere of care, whereas, you know, who, who you've texted, you know, list, look through the people that you've messaged with, and maybe that's your sphere of influence. There's a lot smaller number of people that I text with than that are on Facebook with me. You know, and sure, this isn't specific, and if you've never texted me, that doesn't mean I don't care. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's clear that up. But, you know, what I'd ask you this morning is who's in your sphere of influence? Uh, and who needs to be? Sphere of influence is smaller and it's tighter. Who needs to be in your sphere of influence? Who shouldn't be in your sphere of influence? I ask you to join with me as we evaluate our relationships, being sure that we're prioritizing like Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, thank you um, for the examples that you give over and over and over again in Scripture. Examples time after time after time of how you relate to others. 
and how you choose who to relate to and who to not relate to. And you show us, God, the, the value and importance of pouring into a few and focusing on a few. And so, Lord, as we look at your example, I pray, God, that you'll show us where we need to prioritize, who we need to be focused on, who we need to be not focused on, and allow somebody else to pour into that person. Lord, help us to realize, first and foremost, that every interaction we have, every relationship that we have, should be more than anything focused on you and pointed to you. Because, Lord, a relationship with you is what is well more important than any other relationship that we have. Lord, we love you and thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name.